Does it hurt? Jean-Marc let his head fall to the side. Thick smoke and rolling heat threatened to fill his lungs, creating a haze of dark shrouds before him. Muscles strained as he pushed forward, only to fall back with a silent grunt as the twisted metal pinning him refused to yield. I guess it would. The voice was punctured by the rhythmic tapping of heels on the tiled floor. You certainly tried your best. Caused me no end of problems. More than a child should have ever been able to. He was burning. Skin beginning to blacken. Every part of his body screaming in agony. His aura was gone. Utterly spent. Yet even so, his dark eyes locked on Kuroka Moore's charred fingers reaching towards it. I think not. Something slammed down on his hand, bones and cartilage giving way in a flash of pain. Blood, wet and fluid, slid between his fingers, and it was with a grimace that he realized her stiletto had pierced straight through the back of his hand. I underestimated you once, and lost more than a few vulnerable pawns for that mistake. Not again, Ark. You're usually a lot more reserved than this, he coughed, but still managed to plaster a weak grin on his face. Something not going to plan, perhaps? He was going to die. He knew that. It was as clear as the hair that burned away from his face, and the way he could hear his skin bubbling and popping. It ought to have been a new experience, and in some way, it was. He never burned to death before. And yet, you still gloat. The bane of his existence shook her head. You amaze me, really, you do. But at this point, it doesn't even matter. Uncaring, she stepped into the conflagration, tearing her heel from his ruined hand with a sickening crunch. The very flames themselves flickered and moved before her, giving way to their master. One heel slick with blood came to rest by his head as she knelt down, cruel hands touching his cheek, one thumb rubbing up and down. You failed, Jean-Arc, she whispered, breathing lightly into his ear. Everyone you believed in is dead. Your team... Your friends, from your partner all the way down to little Ruby Rose, they are all dead. His eyes drifting shut, lips parting to whisper words neither could hear. Eager to know what despair had been released, the woman leaned closer. With his last ounce of strength, blue eyes snapped open, his broken and bloodied hand lashing out to backhand the grinning woman. It was a weak strike, more a limp slap, and it did little more than shock her and leave a smear of his blood across her lips. I'll kill you, Cinder, Jean-Arc promised, even as she wiped bloody lips on the sleeve of her dress. I'm going to kill you. I will end this. She rose before him, eyes smoldering like the fire that consumed him, filled with so much hatred, yet it was nothing compared to his. She would die, and he would relish it. No, Jean, I think it's going to be you. And with a snap of her fingers, the flames that had been keeping their distance rushed in, roaring heat and the sound of crackling flesh, echoed by a woman's laughter. Azura's eyes snapped open, body launching forward as a fist swung. The knuckles whistled through the air, momentum bleeding dry as the reality of the empty room sunk in. A few harsh breaths escaped him, chest heaving as adrenaline coursed through his veins until, with a tired sigh, his eyes drifted shut. Fuck. The mattress laid an unsatisfying sound as he struck it, though it did hurt his hand a little. His fingers flexed back and forth, even as he cradled the hand against his chest, rubbing the skin on the back of his palm. 
The phantom pain of heel through skin and bone still lingered, along with the vile taste of smoke, ash, and charred skin. Soon to be nothing more than a fading memory, one more death among the many that had come before. Another sigh, this one filled with a fresh exhaustion, as he pulled himself from the confines of his sheets, hot and suffocating, they reminded him of the flames. It was always best to just forget, except that he messed up again and move on, lingering in thoughts of what had happened, of what had happened to his friends. No, that way led madness, self-condemnation and possibly insanity. Besides, he considered as bare feet hit the cool wooden floor, they were all alive right now, weren't they? Like a man slowly adjusting to walking after a long recovery, he staggered his way towards the nearby window, drawing the synthetic fabric aside. Morning light assaulted his eyes, pain lacing through his skull as he held up a hand to deflect it. Here he was again, alive. Once upon a time that realization might have brought him joy, as each new dawn offered opportunities, the potential to fix what had been broken, save those who had fallen. How long had it been now? Sixty? Ninety years? Had he finally reached the triple digits, or was he getting close to four? As time wore on, it became harder to keep count. The human mind was only meant to remember so much after all. In fact, his death had come so many times that the process of waking up in his younger body was more familiar than his last moments. Death, at least, was varied. Sometimes it would be quick, sometimes it would be slow. The slit throats were the worst. The feeling of drowning in your own lifeblood. It always seemed to take longer than you'd expect. Long enough to really hammer home what was happening, complete with the bubbling within the windpipe as air struggled to enter. The scratching in your throat, the frenetic grasp, like you were trying to dig into your own neck with your fingers to remove some kind of blockage. He shook his head, dispelling the morbid memories. It wasn't a pleasant feeling. The explosions were better though. Sudden force, rushing heat, and then soft white blankets. They weren't so bad really. Or such was his fate anyway. No doubt the end for others was a bit more final. How long had he managed to make it this time? Over two years? The longest he'd managed to survive made it even past the fall of Beacon and nearly a year into Haven, just long enough to spark the tiniest flame within his jaded, bitter heart. Just long enough to make him hope. Just long enough to dash that hope upon the sharp rocks of reality. Should have known better. Jean sighed as he watched the boy in the reflection of the window. The face was fresh and unblemished, lacking the scars and stress lines. Still, it was probably an improvement on what he'd looked like ten minutes ago with charred and melting skin. No hope, his reflection mouthed. Hope was for those who wished to have dreams crushed, to face the cruelty of the real world armed with nothing more than idealistic dreams. His curse was a more powerful one, but it would eventually become his salvation as well, for every time Jean-Arc died, he would be sent back. Life after death. He could remember the first times more vividly than the others, Maybe because back then he'd still been so confused. He experimented, tried to change the timeline, aggressively used every advantage he had to try and fix things so that the people he cared about didn't have to die. He'd still been fresh-faced then as well, seeing this, his semblance, as a boon that would save everyone. And it would, in time. 
Fate might be playing its cruel torture on him, forcing him to live his failure of a life over and over again. But the thing about Infinity was that so long as the objective wasn't impossible, the ending you wanted would certainly happen. Eventually. Sooner or later, he would succeed, and the cycle would be broken. Until then, he just had to endure. That was why he wouldn't hope, because it only served to wear him down, mentally and emotionally as the attachments he formed and the dreams he dared to foster were torn away, time and time again. He had to remain strong, resolute, which meant he'd better get moving to be honest. A new beginning meant a new set of plans. His mind travelled back each time, but the conditioning and physical skills he gained didn't. He could remember the forms, even through the firing stars of some of his most hated enemies, but that hardly mattered when he was weak as, well, as weak as he had been a kid which is about as weak as a ten-year-old by anyone else's standards. Sheesh. He spared a rueful grin. For the boy in the window, holding one weedy arm up, a polite person might have called his younger body lift. An honest person would have had less kind words. All this experience, all this knowledge, and all ten-year-old Ruby would need to do is activate her semblance, and I'm done. That was pretty damn embarrassing, but it wasn't something he couldn't fix. How long had he survived this time? Two years? A little over? Either way, that meant he had about two years until Beacon started. Figuring out the exact dates could wait till he got a hold of a scroll. It wasn't always the same. A pattern he managed to hash out after a few repeats. Correlation wasn't exactly consolation. But after that one time, he had been killed just six hours into initiation. Thanks to not making friends with Pyrrha prior to his landing strategy and had woken back up in the auditorium six hours before they were to start? Well, even he wasn't that stupid. But with two whole years to himself before Beacon even began, that was more than he'd ever been able to get before. It would allow him to attend Beacon stronger than he'd ever been, might even allow him to save no, no hope. Deep breaths, eyes closed as he centered himself once more. Hope led to disappointment, and he would do his best would do everything in his power to save them, as he always did. It was all he could do after all. Eventually it would work out, and he would save them all. It would. It had to. That meant going back to the grind, however, a routine he perfected over numerous repeats. His biggest weakness was his body, still unprepared and untrained. He didn't need a teacher per se, just a long period of time out in the wilds where he could get some conditioning done. The sooner he could get out of there, the better. Early morning, jogging by the position of the sun, just cresting over the hills, or slip out tonight when everyone's in bed. That would mean a delay of at least 12 hours, probably more. Painful to say the least, but necessary. It wasn't exactly a matter of just wandering off into the wilderness. He'd need food, water, camping supplies, not to mention Karoka Moors. People might just take notice if he started collecting all of that in broad daylight. Failing to plan is planning to fail. There's no point rushing off the train. Just to find I then need to waste time going to a town for food. And speaking of food, the blonde whispered to himself as his stomach did its best Beowulf impression. How long had it been since he'd had a proper meal, and not those horrific ration bars? Well, physically probably only 10 hours or so, whenever his body last ate, but mentally it had at least been a few days. Alright, alright. He shook his head as his gut went off once more. The corridors of his home felt awkward and unusual, 
Still dim, and with the lights turned off, he felt like an intruder in his own home. But then again, this wasn't truly his home in any real way. Beacon was where he'd spent most of his life, and he could recount every single corridor with almost perfect recollection. In comparison, his home felt more personal, yet from a distance, like someone looking into a home through a frosted window. It was neat and orderly, with numerous doors on either side, and between those, picture frames hung on the walls, draped in shadows, but showing family scenes which, for the life of him, he couldn't remember. They could have honestly happened over 50 years ago to his mind, and time before Beacon, before the real first Beacon, he couldn't remember that far back, it was just too long ago. Morning, sweetie, Juniper Ark greeted as he strolled into the kitchen. She stood at the counter, humming a gentle tune as she chopped fruit, knife moving up and down with practice ease, the speed of which she wielded it seemed to add to the scene. Morning, mother, he yawned as he took a seat at the family breakfast table, leaning back into the comfortable cushion with a sigh. The sound of metal and wood paused for a brief moment, almost tellingly, before continuing once more. What happened to calling me mum? She asked, voice still bubbly but now with a sense of disquiet. He sighed, within his own mind already a mistake. He was out of sorts. How many times he repeated mornings just like this one? Sorry, mum. He cringed at the foreign word. As much as it pained him to admit, his relationship with his family was non-existent. Every repeat was just a case of him running away at the first opportunity, to train. He didn't have the time or the luxury for school or family gatherings. Not when his friends' lives were on the line. To him, Juniper Ark was little more than a stranger who made him his one reoccurring meal. You look tired, she said, pointing the knife down with a gentle clack before turning to face him. With a beatic smile, she pushed herself back so that she was atop the kitchen surface, looking like a twenty-year-old woman and a middle-aged mother of eight. The woman in the Ark family all seemed to have unnaturally good genes, long golden hair and brightly coloured eyes. His mother was no exception and though there was the slightest sign of wrinkles at the edge of her lips, her bright green eyes still sparkled brightly, while gently cold curls framed her face. Those kids at school aren't still causing you problems, are they? School? Kids? Had he ever been bullied? He couldn't remember. School to him was Beacon, in which case Carden did sometimes try to bully him, in those rare moments where Jean forgot to do anything about it. It never lasted longer than it took him to put the teen in his place, though, most times it only got out of hand because Jean honestly failed to even notice it. No, no, I'm fine. Just didn't get much sleep. It was true enough. Rest had been a luxury they hadn't been allowed in the final days. Too much running, too much chasing and fighting. To stop meant death, and it was amazing just how long you could run on fumes when you had to. I did wonder why you were up so early. I thought you'd been possessed by aliens. With a quick push, she fell from the counter paddling towards him on her bare feet. She stepped behind him, wrapping two arms around his shoulders, the cool skin of her hand coming to rest atop his forehead, a soft sigh escaping him as he felt the last traces of pain from his recent death sweep away. You're burning up, she mumbled against his ear, and it pained him to admit she'd hit the nail on the head. Not that he would ever put her through knowing that. Not since the first time he tried to tell his family, Ozpen, Ironwood, whoever he thought might listen. He died alone. In an asylum. Are you sure you're not coming down with something? <sighs> not sure, he shrugged, unsure of what to say. Literally nothing he did at this point in time mattered. He just needed to wait until the end of the day and slip away into the night, 
Idly, his eyes scanned about the kitchen, noting cupboards which might contain food even as his mother continued to run the palm of her hand against his forehead. Nicholas always kept good hiking packs in the cupboard by the front door. A concession forced by his wife threats to kill him if he kept bringing dirty equipment into the house. There were always a few pre-packed wood tools and camping equipment just in case a surprise mission came along, so that would be easy enough. As for food, canned food would be the best option. Things he could save for some time, yet cook over an open fire. He winced at their analogy, rubbing a finger across the back of his palm. I'll make you some hot soup. Juniper's words cut into his thoughts as she let go of him. Then you take some medicine, just in case. We don't need you coming down with something, not when your sisters will jump at the opportunity to get out of school. Yes, Mum, he droned, scanning for the rest of the hidden things he needed. Lion, he could steal from the kitchen drawers. There was a small stash hidden in one of them that he knew about. Two years was a little longer than he was used to, roughing it out in the wild, but it wasn't anything he couldn't handle. There was work to be had and money to be earned, if you're willing to bend the rules a little. Some of the outlying villagers and towns didn't care how old you were, so long as you could kill Grim or chop wood. So that only left his weapon, the ancestral blade of the Ark family, and a weapon he had relied on for so many years that even now was hanging from its frame on the kitchen wall. Where's Karokomors? John snapped, rising to his feet in shock as he stared at the empty frame, glass pushed aside and blade missing. Hmm? His mother looked over her shoulder as she opened a can of soup apparently not understanding the severity of the situation. Nikki, He's on a mission, sweetie. Remember? He'll be back in two days. Two, two days? The words slipped from his mouth before he could control himself. That was. That had never happened before. Of all the times he repeated, the first day of going back, Krokomors had always been a constant factor, a comforting presence he relied on. And now it was gone? Calm down. Calm down. He shook his head training kicking in as he took several deep breaths and focused on the situation at hand. It was fine. There was nothing unusual about it. Nicholas had always been on missions. It was his job. He'd just been unlucky and came back on a specific day where his father was using the blade. It was nothing more than bad luck. He wanted to be here, Jean, I swear. His mother took the seat opposite him, reaching across and taking his hand in hers. Something came up last minute. Some small grim scene around a nearby town. He didn't want to go, but it was the only one in the area. No, no. It's fine. He understood that. It made perfect sense. Two full days? It would be a loss. But there was nothing he could really do about it, other than see to his own training outside. It wouldn't be that much of a big deal. It just caught him off guard. That needed to stop. Maybe he was still running on a bit of adrenaline from what had happened before. Maybe a day or two's rest would do him some good. He was wound up tighter than Yang on a bad hair day. It's his job after all, Jean shrugged, more because it felt like his mother was waiting for a response than anything else. I know sometimes his job takes him away, Jean, but your father does love you. I know. I know. He scratched the back of his head as she let go of his hand. Nicholas. Yeah. He guessed the man did. It was hard to remember him, to be honest. For a while he'd focus on trying to get the man to train him. The early excuses had been that John wasn't fit enough, yet when he'd managed to gain enough mass to disprove that, the excuses had morphed into something else. In the end, John had given up. His training progressed faster if he'd just run away to do it himself, and after repeating that so many times, Nicholas Ark was more a stranger than Emerald. A shame, but it was something that could be fixed when he was finally successful. 
a reunion with his family was long overdue, and once Cinder was dead, the White Fang stopped and his friends saved. John could take a long-deserved holiday, go back to see his family and reconnect properly with his father. Until then, however, there were more important things to do, and that meant waiting for Croker Moors to return so he could enact his plan. For now though, in the short space of time he had until it came back? Maybe, he stifled a yawn, one of the first he dared to let out in so many days. Maybe it would be best to finally take some rest. Jean's eyes dropped heavily, body slouching forward as he leaned his arms on the table, a cushion for his head. For the first time in so long, he finally allowed himself to rest, lulled into a sleep by the pleasant melody of his mother's voice.